you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I invite you to join us on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow the show by going to at Digging Oak Island. Okay, let me start this podcast like I always like to do with my favorite part of the show, your emails and messages. And I want to start this week with a listener named James who writes, Hi Dave, I'll keep this short and sweet. My father, Jim Warfock, has been a longtime listener of your podcast and has submitted questions a few times. I was hoping to do something unique for his birthday. was wondering if you would mind giving him a brief shout out on one of your May episodes. His birthday is May 11th. All the best, James. Um, Jim? The older Jim, <laughs> here's wishing you the happiest and healthiest of birthdays. I want to thank you both, both you and your son, for listening to and supporting this podcast. Happy birthday, my friend. All the best to you. Okay, let's go now to an email from another friend of the show, Steve in Ohio, who writes, Dave, Digging Deeper and Episode 24 both got me thinking last night. Between Fred Nolan, Dan Blankenship, with and without Triton, the Restalls, Dunfield, the very flexible public tours that were apparently possible in the 1970s and 1980s, and accidental drops from the current team. Can you imagine how much modern metal junk is on that island? Modern nuts, bolts, soda cans, rings that were definitely not from the 1750s. Lipstick lids, not from swagger sticks. I think that's the kind of stuff that we don't see in the show that must be maddening to a guy like Gary Drayton. Uh, I've not been to the Interpretive Center, so I don't know if they are displaying modern finds, but they must throw a lot into the dumpster that slows them down. Have a great week, Steve. Steve, I have a recollection of an interview I heard with Gary um, where he says exactly that. Not necessarily about Oak Island, if my memory serves, but just about... The job, which it is his job, right, of uh, metal detecting in general. And yes, this is not a preserved site, so to speak, by any means. So it must be a huge challenge. And that speaks to exactly how much we don't see, right? All that stuff on the island we don't see, which we're going to mention this again a little bit later um, at the end of the show. So keep that in mind. Remember when we saw him detecting an area... um, I guess he had already detected it off camera and what Gary had done is left these little flags everywhere (laughs) there that he got a hit so that they can dig it later on. I'd be willing to bet that is where your accidental drops and modern metal junk, so to speak, can be found. The issue comes when the show makes it seem as though the quote unquote experts can't seem to tell the difference sometimes between modern junk and genuine artifacts. That's when people get their, you know, the hair up on their back. Um, Anyway, great email. Let's go now to our friend Bernie who writes, Dave, a lot of people down, uh, are down on the show this year. I don't think those people are giving the Laginas and their team the respect they deserve. Under the circumstances, I feel like they have given us a ton of great content when they could have decided that it was entirely too difficult. I'm very grateful and thankful that they could, keep, could do anything at all this year. I've always been intrigued by the swamp from day one. Everything that they have found so far has been exciting, but still somewhat mysterious. I don't know where this is going or what the story it will tell. However, I am going to enjoy the ride while we get there. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't care if they ever find a treasure. I just hope 
they find enough to come back for another season. And from my point of view, this year has been so far so good. I hope that you and yours are doing well. Stay happy and stay safe. Bernie, so great to hear from you again. Uh, I hope all's well with you and your family. As far as the first part goes, I think what I'd say is I'm kind of in two minds of this, you know, um, you know, with regards to creating 25 episodes, a long season out of, you know, half the footage, half the dig time they normally have. Um, I see the benefits of doing that. I got, I mean, of course we all benefited. We got to watch 25 episodes of the curse of Oak Island rather than 12. Right. But I also see the challenges that came as a result of that. I think I'm going to talk more about that after the season is over. And I've said a couple of times I'd like you guys to participate in sort of an end of the season. We'll do this towards the end of May, an end of the season sort of rundown of, of thoughts of what the fans think of the show. So keep that in the back of your head and I'll start calling on you to uh, send those emails in when we get to that point. And also for me personally, I think I'm going to give them these last uh, two episodes. And I say two because we're going to have an, an original digging, uh, drilling down or whatever it is, digging deeper, whatever they call that Matty Blake thing <laughs> next week, which is going to be sort of the aftermath show um, out of Traverse City, Michigan. So I'm going to give them to the end of that so we can really analyze what they've done. I think they ended really well today, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I just hope that, <laughs> you know... I. Maybe they can maybe they can get it all right or or writer, you know, and I think that's what they can do uh, as far as your second paragraph there about the swamp and maybe never finding a treasure. Again, I couldn't agree more. I I think the swamp has a story. Some sort of lost history is probably what its story is, but I'm not at all convinced right now, uh, at least not at the moment. Um, that the story of the swamp is related to the money pit. Now, Miriam Amaralt says something here at the end of this episode, which I'm going to get to later, that is kind of making me wobble a little bit on that thing. Uh, I'll get to that again at the end. It may very well be that they are connected. Um, I'm just not completely convinced. But again, she's got me leaning in one in one direction. I'll talk about that later. Uh, and I, from the beginning, I, I, I've i said, I don't care about finding a treasure. I want the truth. But Bernie, <laughs> there might just be silver in, in our hills, right? There just might be. So we got to kind of keep on to that and see where this goes. Thank you, my friend. Um, great to hear from you again, and we will talk soon. Um, let's turn now to an, one of my virtual co-hosts, I like to call him now. <laughs> Here is Jock, who writes, Hello, Dave. In Canada, we are now 30% vaccinated and are being hit by the variants. The U.S. has a larger percentage vaccinated, so you might be in a slightly better shape. Um, I'm sure you have heard about the recent Nova Scotia lockdown announced yesterday. Spring is springing up in Canada, and I'm sure the Oak Island activities would be coming alive in a normal year, pre-2020. Not sure how it will affect this year's Curse of Oak Island season, but I will predict it will not be normal again. On top of the required 14-day self-isolation, Rick, Marty, Craig, and the rest of the Oak Island crew, including some of the TV production staff, would have to self-isolate every time they come and go. Or do they stay for the whole filming season of five-plus months, June through October? It's a tough choice, depending on their personal circumstances at home, for any of them. There's another complication in Canada where international travel travelers are required by federal order to hold up, in quotes, in designated hotels for a few days after getting off the plane. In some cases, that could be an expensive proposition. Manitoba suggests the 14-day self-isolation as well, but asks that one get a COVID test on day one and 10. Okay, let me interrupt here 
Um, Jock, the problem isn't the cast and crew, uh, at least not in my mind. Uh, like you say, they can come two weeks earlier than they need to be there. They can quarantine. They can schedule that into their year. Um, they can do things remotely. We saw that kind of work this year. And and you could see as the season went on how it was challenged. I mean, all of a sudden you'd see war room sessions with people who aren't there and who are somewhere else who seemed to be there before. That's really what, were, what, what was happening there is you were seeing guys needing to go home for business reasons, personal reasons, taking a break, any of that kind of stuff. And then that means it's a month before they're back on the island. So they can schedule that out. They've had all winter to prepare for that. So hopefully, you know, even this year might even be a little bit smoother than it was last year, just because they have a better idea, a better handle on the process and what they can do. Um, the problem is, <laughs> who else can come and how feasible is it? Like, is it possible to bring a huge dig crew on the island to do a big dig? Can Vanessa Lucido... Um, come to the island with her giant oscillators and those big cans again? Or is it too big an issue to do all that stuff because of this? That was the issue this year, and it seems to be something of a problem now, too. Um, the question I asked for Jock was, and maybe somebody else can answer this, is if any of these people, Vanessa Lucida, whoever does the big dig, her crew, if they can produce a vaccination, do they still have to do these things? Um because like you're saying, Jock, we are, you know, getting pretty, pretty close to getting as many people in the United States willing to be vaccinated, actually vaccinated because the availability is just very good right now. OK, Jock continues, as the show's name implies, it has the potential of becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, at least to my wife and perhaps yours. Oh, yeah. As they are encouraged to watch as we go into the nine year season. Seinfeld. Mahler and Beethoven did not make it beyond nine since they all suffered the curse of the nine-year stretch. Um, Beethoven's life cycle sadly ended personally. Seinfeld's show, show's life cycle ended voluntarily. Ahead in the game and in the ratings with the potential of a rating decline as he might run out of material and or run the risk of regurgitating old material. My wife says every week, every year, quote, just find that darn treasure and get this over with so we can get back to a normal Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> because it's broadcast on Sundays in Canada. All the best, Jock. Jock, everything you say there is absolutely true. And this season didn't help, right? I mean, I could see the frustration. As we mentioned before, I can see the frustration in a lot of people. Um, my friend Chris Poe, who I do a uh, podcast with called Sit Downs and Sessions, where we talk about just about anything. He's watches the show. He's a sort of a UFO expert. And uh, he's also I mean, he's got a lot of experts, areas of expertise. Um, and he's been a disc jockey for ages and ages. But uh, he calls the show this year a treasure trove of tedium <laughs> because it's just one thing that doesn't really matter after another. And I get that. I do. I get it. Again, thank you, my friend, for your uh, for your email. I hope all is well up there. And let's finish up now this uh, email section with a um, kind of a follow up from an email written last week. This is from Blake in California. It's a long one, so it's a good it's a good one to end with. So let's go. He writes, "Hey Dave, just want to say thank you for taking the time to read my novel on last week's podcast. I'll definitely look into the things you mentioned, Blake. Yes, keeping it short is easier for me." Um, you know, reading all this is difficult on the air. I don't feel I'm very good at it <laughs> either, uh, but I'm committed to do it now because I, I love the participation in the show. Uh, anyway, he continues. Today, I write in general inquiry. 
Uh, last night's episode blew me away. He's talking about last week uh, with the discovery of the lead veil seal. What fascinated me about it, like all artifacts found, are the wonders of origin. Identifying artifacts and locating their place of origin has clearly been the most difficult part of the archaeology of Oak Island. Sadly, in the United States, we rarely ever learn about the maritime significance to our history, and I'm so sad to admit it because I have learned so much about the history of Atlantic Canada in the last few months by just recently getting into the show. Blake, I'm going to stop here. You got a lot, a lot of reasons for me to stop, so let me let me stop here. You are 100% correct. Um, the role Atlantic Canada, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia played in basically the reason why we're all here, any of us from Europe, of European descent are here in North America, uh, it stems directly from those two provinces. They are just, 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 Ask a sailor. They're the first place you're going to stop. I mean, maybe Greenland, but you know, you're know you not going to stay there too long. Uh, but <laughs> Newfoundland and Nova Scotia are the first place you're going to stop. And everyone found something incredible. A, an amount of fishing that just revolutionized the industry and made people come here. And that's we're just talking about people making their way to the edge of the continent not even working their way in yet to the other resources. If they didn't have a reason to stay on the edge of the continent, they wouldn't have stayed, but there was an incredibly big reason, an incredibly profitable reason, and that is the beginning of the role, the, the, the incredible role, just to use that word again, that Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, the Atlantic provinces, played in the founding of this country too, the United States. So yes, 100% correct. He continues, my question for you today is whether you know of any online databases or archives that hold the many Oak Island various finds. I would love to be able to take a closer look at many of the artifacts discovered on the island from something other than a paused television screen. The Oak Island website has some great stuff, but it is all very general, and I'm confident I am not the only one who wants to dig a little deeper in the comfort of my computer chair. Surely, Oak Island is privately owned, and Laginas and company are not likely to release every little detail of their trade. However, with such a large following of interested plebeians like myself, great word, uh, those that also want to start doing their own independent research, the, the Laginas have articulated their interest in the community with those also attempting to solve the mystery themselves. Write this in hope that, the future, that in the future, the Laginas will slowly release such archives to the public in a more general and user-friendly manner. Okay, I'm going to stop here, interrupt here again, and throw out um, this question to the listening audience. Um, if you guys know of any great archives online where Blake and other people can see these things, um, you're correct. The Laginas don't put that stuff on their website. However, you know, they do make it available in person during normal non-COVID years in their interpretive center in the museums and stuff. So you can go and see it. The problem is... That's 4,000 miles away from you. But you can also see why they don't then put it all on the on the website because then you're giving people a reason not to come and they don't want that. Um, there's some stuff on, an, on a website called oakislandmystery.com. There's also, if you're interested in the modern finds done by the Laginas during the time of the show, there's kind of a cumbersome interactive map on the History Channel's website that chronicles things found by the show. Um, 
but that's about it. You can you can look at that uh, again. It's on the History Channel's website. I've had I've always have problems with them. It kind of loads slow and stuff, but maybe. You know, I mean, I'm not the greatest technology guy in the world, so I'm sure, Blake, you're better at this than I am. So maybe you'd have better time with it. But those are the two things I've seen. I mean, I've got stacks of books, so that's where I get all this stuff from. Not from any one particular website, um, but try that OakIslandMystery.com and see what you think. Also, keep in mind the stuff that Fred Nolan found is also hard, really, to get a look at. He used to have his own museum i'm not sure that that's still there um but a lot of stuff that he says he found there might be a picture of but we don't know where it is treasure hunters are funny that way anyway blake continues second and separately is dr spooner's and dr lukeman's approach to detecting possible precious metals in the various boreholes on the island now as a skeptic i'll pose the same question everyone is asking you today how do they know that zinc and copper does not occur naturally in such large amounts in the area? I'm not a geologist, and while I'm sure they have attempted to elaborate on a possible caveat off the camera, it is crucial because to rule out to really demonstrate the possibility that silver and alloys used with it within are really not naturally occurring. Sorry I read that poorly, but you get what he's getting at here. Of course, there is a hope for next week's episode. There sure is. Having a more detailed explanation of what's going on. I think that an in-depth conversation on this rather ingenious idea can actually demonstrate with confidence that what has been sought over 200 years actually exists. I guess we'll have to see. As you say, we can never really be sure of the simple questions that are probably asked off camera and not shared with us. However... I still think this is a really crucial conversation to have because it can either prove exactly what everyone has been looking for or incredibly mislead viewers just to keep us on our toes for next week. Thanks again for all your great work. I look forward to your podcast every week to help tie me over to the following Tuesday evening. All my best, Blake in California. Okay, Blake, there is going to be a little bit more on this in just a second, um, just at the start of our episode review. Uh, so I will get to that in just a minute. You'll see where I'm going with that. So hang on for that. Also, I am working and I feel very, very good that I have got an interview to come during the off season that is going to be very, very helpful for you in this. I don't want to say too much because I haven't actually done the interview yet and you never know how things can change with these kind of things. So um, just hang on to that. I'm working on that stuff for you, uh, and we can have some better answers in just a second for the first part, uh, and also maybe some more as we go on. If you have any questions, uh, thank you, Blake, so much again for writing. Your your emails are so well written, and I really do appreciate it. And if anybody else has any uh, Oak Island questions you like answered on the podcast, just send me an email to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. We're going to take a little break now. When we come back, we're actually going to discuss not the episode, but sort of a pregame show. Okay, now before we get into this week's episode review, we need to talk about the Drilling Down show that aired just before it. It was called Theories Galore, I think. I mean, if we're going to air an hour of talking about theories for Oak Island, if that's their idea, boy, I can tell you, they got one viewer at least in me every time they want to do it. And this this show is exactly what I thought it would be, and and I really just enjoyed watching it. Anyway... It begins with a talk about how long the pirate theory was prevalent. 
uh, really up until like in the 1970s, almost really. I mean, and, and I think that's great to kind of give people a context of what we're talking about and what we're looking at. We get a lot of questions about things like, why didn't they examine this? Why didn't they examine that? Why didn't they follow the parchment back then? Why didn't they worry about these etchings on these stones and this kind of stuff? You have to remember for a long, long portion, a huge portion of what we call the Oak Island dig, everyone digging was convinced all they were trying to do was unearth a pirate treasure. And that changes your thought pattern. You're not thinking about the possibility of Francis Bacon or the Knights Templar or anything else. What you're thinking of is somewhere in this island, <laughs> down this hole, is a treasure chest of pirate treasure. And that, again, so it's really only been the last 50 years in a 200-year-plus, 200-plus-year search where the last just 25% or so where we've thought beyond pirate treasure. Attention in the show then turns quickly to a military connection and all the artifacts that support it, and there have been quite a few found during the Lagina's time on the island. Uh, and this leads to talk of what we've what we've called here on this show the Havana theory, um, which is a great theory and one that you should look into a little bit more yourself. And we've talked about it in past episodes. Um, this is the theory that after the British in a war with Spain sacked Havana, they took a whole bunch of gold and all sorts of stuff, huge treasure out of Havana. And some of that treasure might have actually been stolen by what we would call a lot. What's the word? Maverick naval British captains and crew. Uh, and then they hit it here on Oak Island. Um, there's a lot of evidence for some of this stuff, and they go through it all here. They don't really add anything new, and there's not much for me to add. Uh, Marty says, what I like here is that Marty says the the idea that the British military was on Oak Island is, quote unquote, pretty well proven. Which immediately makes me wonder, why then do we keep talking on this show about the Knights Templar? If the... <laughs> If the Laginas and if the head of this search team thinks that the British military were on this island in some undocumented manner, in some clandestine manner, why do we keep discussing the Knights Templar? Why don't we follow that lead to its end? That's kind of how I'd like to see this done. But anyway, I have to say, we then go into this um, connection with Samuel Ball somehow connecting a British military presence on the island with Samuel Ball um, because he was in the military. My guess is that if you look back on a lot of property owners, you'll find more than just Samuel Ball connected to the British military in some way, shape or form. And I think that his connection to the military, you know, just based on when he was on the island and when we think a deposit put in quotes, might have been done. I, I just don't think the connection really um, explains anything. That's all. Marty says some more great stuff, saying he believes at best the military was here to search for a treasure. An interesting idea. But he sees no evidence to suggest they deposited anything. Again, why are we not following this lead? If that's how what he believes, if he thinks that the evidence is pointing him here, what research is being done to follow up on that? I'd love to know the answer to that. The show then evolves into a theory involving the French. Uh, and this is a theory I simply have to say is thin on evidence at best. I'm not going to repeat all of what it says here. I'm sure you guys watch the show. Um, and also, I'm not sure why in this segment 
when we're talking about the French and the French military, that we then go to the Templars. <laughs> they seem to connect the two, and I'm not sure why. They're not the same thing. The French Navy, <laughs> you know, in the 18th century is not at all connected with the Knights Templar. That's a totally, I mean, anyway, the way they can connect the Knights Templar to things just is maddening sometimes. They go through all the same Templar, Zena Halpern, Duke de Anville stuff. We've heard it all over and over again. There's not much to talk about here, really nothing new. Um, they chat about the Founding Fathers connection, and that's an interesting conversation. They suggest that, in here they say something interesting, which is the two brothers sort of look at each other, and, and their suggestion here as they're kind of making these nods is that somehow the funding for the Continental Army and the 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 American effort in the revolution, somehow that the funding is not completely accounted for or maybe somehow mysterious, like they came into a bunch of money. And I don't know about that. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I'm going to have to look into that. And if anybody here who has done this research or has talked about this has anything to add on that, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. So they go to a commercial break. And after that, they bring in James McQuiston and his theory. And we've talked about it a lot, and I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. Uh, Rick calls it a concrete path and even refers to it, and I love this, as an elegant theory. And it really is an elegant theory because it involves so many things and it's it follows so logically. Um, and even though it's evolved over years, it still kind of follows the same path and sort of all pushes towards the same thing. I'm not going to expand on McQuiston's theory any more than they did here on the show. Uh, because what I want you to do is to go and buy and read his books. I mean, that's the best way to do it. But I'll say this again. I believe right now that James McQuiston's theory is the best treasure-related theory that is being worked on right now and maybe the best and the one that should be discussed and followed more than any other one currently. Um, hopefully the time spent in this show about the McQuiston theory uh, is enough one for one thing to get you guys to read his books, but also is enough to kind of encapsulate this some more. This is a very, you know, it's a very sensible theory. It's a very Canadian theory too, and and it's important that we um, start to recognize that. And I'd love to see McQuiston given more time in this uh, on this show. Rick says a weird thing, which is that he believes the problem is. McQuiston is yet to put an X on the ground, and I don't agree. The X on the ground is Oak Island, right? Um, I don't think it's James McQuiston or researcher's job here to say, especially from what James is saying in his um, books, he's not trying to say he knows exactly where this is on Oak Island. What he's saying is he knows the origin of what could be there, um, that he thinks he knows the story behind the treasure that they are looking for. It's Rick's, Rick and Marty's job to find it, but it's a researcher's job to figure out what it is and if it is, in fact, there. Anyway, after the break, they turn to the Shakespeare Bacon theory. Um, you can tell Marty thinks this idea is silly, and I do too, and I've said that a million times on here. Maybe silly isn't the right word, but it's just not one I really follow. I think a Bacon connection to Oak Island is not out of the realm of possibility. There's a lot of interesting... Um, you know, circumstantial evidence that one could use to back Shakespeare. But I don't think that Shakespeare and 
or Bacon and Oak Island has anything to do with Shakespeare. I don't believe Bacon wrote Shakespeare, and I don't believe he hid those manuscripts on Oak Island. Doesn't mean I don't think he hid something on Oak Island. Does that make sense? Rick gives us a new theory. This is interesting from someone named Dr. Jason French, uh, a geophysicist from Edmonton regarding something called Kobe's Island, I think is what it was, in Mahone Bay. They show some alignments and stuff. Uh, Dr. French, it's all based on this alignment that he made. And, and I love how Rick looks at his brother and, and says that Marty doesn't really buy into alignments, you know. For the most part, I don't either, I got to tell you. Uh, although I will admit, I, I have seen one or two that are intriguing, this one, I'm not so sure. Um, I got to see more on this one. Uh, um, it's not one of the intriguing ones I, I, I would find here. But I'm intrigued by the idea of another island. I'm intrigued by the idea of another island with a swamp. And then, amazingly, he drops this bomb on us by saying that Billy Gerhardt knows that in this swamp is another paved area. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> Can we go look at this and see what this might be? This could have answers for what we're looking at here. Is it possible that what we're looking at is a natural formation and we could see another example of it on an island just a few miles away in the same bay? Oh, boy. That was, that was, I mean, I stopped and rewound it and listened to it again. Like, are we really, does he really just say that? Anyway, we get so little of Dr. French's theory here. I don't want to uh, pass too much judgment on it yet. Uh, they end by going around the table. I love this. And asking everyone um, what theory they hope is true and what they think is true. This is a good exercise, folks. Maybe we as a uh, community here, the Diggin' Oak Island community, need to do this same thing sometime in the offseason. Keep that in mind. This was a great show. Uh, I, there's not, again, not much new information here. But it was just so much fun to watch and discuss and think about. You know, at the beginning of the season when I knew they would have a lot less footage than they normally would have, this is the kind of thing I was hoping they'd bring us. And I'm glad they did. And I love these kind of shows. I'd love to see more just like it. Okay, it's time to discuss Season 8, Episode 25 of The Curse of Oak Island called, irkingly, The Silver Spooner. Is this the first time they used Dr. Spooner's name for a pun? I, I can't imagine it is. Uh, it seems like a long time to wait to use such an obvious pun. Anyway, uh, the show actually picks up this episode right where we left off from last week. We're in the war room. Dr. Ian Spooner, the Swamp Doctor, has just told the team about the presence of silver, or possibly silver, found in water samples taken from the Money Pit area. We saw this at the end of last week. We have a continuation of the same meeting right here. Spooner says something like, if we had a deposit of silver big enough to fill this war room, that deposit would yield similar results to what this test found. Spooner says he'd like to follow up with some sediment samples. I think it was Blake who mentioned that. We're going <laughs> to in before uh, we're going to talk about that in a little while. Um, as I predicted last week, and as well, it wasn't really a prediction, I just assumed. I mean, it was a logical assumption. The weather is not cooperating here, uh, and this probably won't be really followed up on thoroughly until next year. I think even Rick says something like, "Man, if this was June, we could actually do something here." 
but they can't. And anyone who wonders why that is, I invite you to spend a few weeks on an island in the North Atlantic. You don't have to go as far as Nova Scotia. Head up to Down East Maine. Find a nice island in a bay somewhere. and Spend the winter. And you will have your answer as to why they're not going to continue work until the spring. Uh, but we do, before we leave this scene here or this subject here, they do. See, we do see them collecting sediment samples. Uh, some of the soil around where this water was tested that found these these amounts of silver. We're going to have something more on that later in the show, and that's where your answer is going to be for that question about this before. We're going to get into that in just a bit. Before we take a break, let me go to Samuel Ball's homestead. We quickly see a scene here with Rick, uh, David Frenetti, Alex Lagina. They're all kind of jumping in to help. Um, this is Liz Michaels and Laird Niven doing this. Um, Laird says, and we mentioned this before, uh, mentioned this last week, that he's looking to research more of Samuel Ball's economic status. He says it right there um, that they're trying to figure out his economic status. So maybe, in fact, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. He wasn't one of the richest men in Nova Scotia after all. Shocking. Uh, this really was basically just a, sh a scene showing us um, that this excavation is a work in progress and will continue. Um, and I love how they all kind of take their chance to do, to say the right thing here, which is that Samuel Ball was an amazing guy. I mean, Rick is 100% correct when he said that. And his story, whether it's connected to Oak Island's mystery or not, his story is one of the great stories of this little island in Mahone Bay, and it really does need to be told. Now, I was going to take a break here, but before we do, let's let's go to the swamp real quick. Um, there's just a few things kind of found here uh, and just a couple of things to talk about. Rick and Charles are kind of getting dirty there, man. You see these, these, these two guys on their knees in the cold, muddy, wet... Boy, I mean, they just, uh, I would be miserable doing this. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. I'd be just like them, excited as hell to be taking part of this. Uh, they're there helping out Miriam Amaralt and Aaron Taylor in this sort of uplands area of the swamp. And they're still finding tons of pottery now. Rick pulls out then a small tubular piece of metal out of the dirt. Wonder why that wasn't found by a metal detector, but it wasn't. Uh, they seem to see a number five etched on it, and they think it might be a weight which is exactly what I thought right from looking at it. Uh, as soon as she pulled it out, I said to my wife, that's one of those little weights they put on scales to measure money back in the day. Um, little tiny, little weights just like this were used in many transactions back in the day to measure all sorts of stuff. What, what you were buying, what you were using to pay for things, made all the sense in the world to me. I've seen a million of these. Now, next we head back to um, the beach at Lot 32. It's the same lot where they found the bale seal last week, and Gary is metal detecting with Steve Guptill, and Billy is on the excavator. And in the excavator, they find an old piece of wood just sort of sitting there. It has a round hole in it. Uh, they immediately declare it as being from off a ship. Now, talk about your jumping to conclusions. I don't know how you jump to that conclusion from what this is. Um, even the things that he was saying it might be part of a latch or something like that you wouldn't that there's more than one application than just maritime for such a thing anyway they find it cool little piece of wood another little piece of wood found near the swamp and we don't know why but uh well i guess we'll continue that next year so we head to the war room and we're going to discuss this weight some more that i was talking about just a bit 
Uh, they did kind of some testing on it, and it's made mostly of copper, and it weighs 45 grams. Now, what puzzles me is Doug Kroll says that this is really close to an old unit of measuring precious metals called a troy ounce. But then moments later, the narrator points out the fact that a true troy ounce weighed 31 grams, not 45. I was very confused by this. I looked it up. True enough, a troy ounce is 35 grams, and they said this was 45. I'm not really sure why they assume this is a troy ounce. Can anybody answer that for me? Um, I'm really kind of confused by that. Anyway, side note, as we're pulling back away from the war room, you hear that word from Marty again, bravo tango. <laughs> After the break, they're all back in the swamp where uh, Aaron Taylor and Miriam Amaral, this is sort of a wrap-up swamp scene here, are showing Dr. Spooner and Rick what Spooner calls a burn layer, lots of charcoal and, sp and such. Uh, Spooner thinks that this could be evidence of a forge um, that was here along this pathway, some sort of burning. Um, later, back at the uplands where Taylor, we see Taylor say he's pretty confident that the pathway continues on towards the money pit. But obviously, we're not going to get any more than an opinion on this until next year. All right, now, so let's finish up with the final scene of the uh, season eight, this little war room wrap-up session with everybody either there or on a um, video conference. This is sort of a season-ending tradition now, although... Usually everybody's shoulder to shoulder around the table. We don't do that anymore. Um, you know, this kind of discussion where everybody talks about what they did and then we sort of see this finale scene as they all say goodbye to each other as they leave. Uh, apparently this one, according to the narrator, was after the first snow of the year. So they actually took the digging up right to the point where it became, you know, just about impossible. Uh, they begin talking to the archaeologists about the swamp. And here is where Miriam Amaralt makes a really great point, and I went back to this before, about um, whether or not the story of the swamp connects itself to the treasure hunt. She says something along the lines of, how, how do I put this? She says, here's a stone road. It was obviously an incredibly difficult thing, time-consuming and manpower, costly in manpower to build this, yet we have no record of it, no historical record of it. And in a way, it is possible that that very fact that we have this feature with no historical record of it is itself evidence of a connection to any other, and she's right about this, to any other's clandestine operation done on Oak Island. For instance, burying a treasure in the money pit. Um, I think she she offers us a little logic there that makes a lot of sense. So if we do find that what we have here is a stone road leading to a wharf with some sort of forge on it or something like that, it is there is no historical record, which means that it can be easily logically connected to anything else in the island of which sort of relates, right, with no historical record, clandestine in some manner, um, something big that we just don't know about. She makes a great point in there. Spooner says, quote, this was not built by fishermen or farmers, end quote. 
And that's probably true. Steve Guptill then goes on to show everyone this fascinating map of where all the artifacts were found. And I know you all paused on this and tried to read it. And what you're actually seeing is just little white bars of stuff. He then says, now if we add the metal detecting finds to the map, we see this. And then all of a sudden you see hits, targets, something. I don't know if it's artifacts or what, found literally all over the island. We talked in the email section about modern junk found on the island. Is that what we're talking about here? I had no idea that Gary was metal detecting places that aren't even discussed on the show at all. Areas of the island that aren't even thought about <laughs> on the show. But according to that map, that's what's going on behind the scenes. We don't get to see where these finds are. We don't get to see what it is. And, and we now have a better idea of exactly how much work is being done that we're not seeing. Gupta plots where all these things were made and, Boy, if we had this kind of info for the for the other 150 years of the treasure hunt, we would be in a lot better shape than we are right now. And 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 let me go back to Blake's email again from earlier. Man, wouldn't you love to have this to look at every day? Uh, if we could just take a look at this map and see where all this is found. Um we get a quick pause and you can go back and look at it to see where all these artifacts in the swamp are. And then in that little scene where he kind of goes into the detail of the swamp, then you get more information. You get, um, you know, you get an idea of where things were and what they were called. My guess is that that's because he's kind of zooming in. But it could also be that that's because that's what we've already seen on the island when the rest of the things that we're seeing that just seem to be little white lines instead of actual names or things we haven't seen yet on the on the show. Who knows? Or that we're not going to see on the show. Anyway, Marty asks Laird, if we looked at any other island in Mahone Bay, would we find this much stuff? And he just sort of shakes his head and says no. Now, Laird would know. He spent his life doing archaeological work in just this area. So that's a great question and a really intriguing answer. And here also we get sediment tests from Dr. Spooner. We talked before. This is a follow-up test to the silver found in the water. And the question came out, I believe also from Blake, maybe I have that wrong, about whether um, this could be naturally occurring. Spooner says the levels of silver and such, the kind of things that were found in the water, is very, very low. And this possibly could mean that the levels found in the water are not there because of what's in the ground. I mean, what's in the dirt. <laughs> it could be from something else, like something deposited there. Make sense? Um, Marty says, quote, Before the direct indication of metals, I was very, very lukewarm on a big dig. Now... I think the big dig is right back on the table. So there you go. That's how much this test and these test results could mean to the search in Oak Island. Now, Rick and Marty go through sort of a, a farewell speech, and Rick goes through this great, very emotional speech um, at the end 
talking about uh, what this all means and everybody before him. And Rick gets very emotional and my wife's crying next to me uh, as we're watching this. Uh, But I just wanted to point out something after this. You know, Gary Drayton says a lot of silly things and we laugh about it a lot and he jumps to conclusions a lot. But at the end of when Rick is giving this sort of emotional farewell, uh, Gary Drayton says something that I absolutely loved. He said, we'll follow you anywhere, mate. That's why we're here. And I think it's important to point that out, that Gary thinks that, that everybody else thinks that. Rick's passion for this project, Rick's passion for this search is real. And no matter what we might think about the show, what we might think about what the narrator says, all of that stuff, it's all yada, yada, yada at the end, right? Because what really matters is that Rick Lagina, the person who is here on the island, who is leading this team for all intents and purposes, um, is here for one thing, finding the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. Understand how you feel, Rick. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Dig in Oak Island podcast. We're going to have another final episode review next week as we look into um, this show that I mentioned before. It's going to be on 8 o'clock on Tuesday night here in the States. Don't know where it is anywhere else. you got to check your local listings. It's another Drilling Down episode. Again, 8 o'clock. It's called The Best is Yet to Come. And here is how it's described on the History Channel's website. It says, Maddie travels to Traverse City, Michigan and meets with Rick, Marty, Craig, Alex, and Jack to review the incredible discoveries made in Season 8 and hear what might be in store for Season 9. So we're going to actually take the time and do like a proper show for that. It might be a shorter one than normal, but... Um, I think it's at least on the surface seems to be something worth discussing here. And then after that, we're going to do a little season. The week after, we'll do sort of a season eight wrap up show. And then after that, we'll do hopefully a season eight uh, listener wrap up show. So get your emails in now for that. I'm happy to uh, hold on to them. Just make a note that you want it for the season eight wrap up. Your thoughts you know, uh, what you hope to see in season nine, all that kind of stuff. Let's wait till after next week before we really start getting into those. Um, shameless plug time. I produce another podcast, mentioned it before, called Sit Downs and Sessions. Me and my friend and radio host Chris Poe sit down over a drink or two uh, and we talk about pubs, we talk about music, politics, paranormal, basically anything two guys would like to talk about at a bar. We spent a lot of last year talking about politics just because, I mean, what else were we going to talk about when we're doing this virtually? But now it looks like we're going to be able to get to do this, what we wanted to do, which was to record these at some bars, some breweries, some distilleries, and really talk about, you know, the pub culture and all the cool stuff that we like to talk about. Anyway, give it a listen. You can find sit downs and sessions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual podcast places. Also, if you're enjoying the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, I ask that you please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. A big thank you to everyone who has left us a five-star rating already. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to do it and for such kind words about the show. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Diggin' Oak Island. Just put at Diggin' Oak Island into your search bar and you'll find us. And again... If you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you could do so via email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. But as I like to say, keep in mind, if you do send me an email or even a direct message on social media, 
just remember, I may answer it here on a future podcast. So if you don't want your message read aloud for whatever reason, just please make a note of that for me. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.